Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Divorce and Addiction, A Guide to Move Forward, visit www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. That coercive controller's goal is to fracture the attachment your children have with you. He is chiseling away with that all of the time. And I need protective parents to work all of the time on reigniting that attachment. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process. So listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. And today, listeners, we are entering into October. It's the beginning of October, which many of you may already know is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I have a whole lot to tell you about things that are going on. Um, we have created something called the Divorce Coalition, which is a lot of your favorite podcasters and other people in the divorce space and related spaces who are joining together to sort of amplify our voices and messages of awareness and support and resources for those who are experiencing domestic violence. So I had to start the, the month off with Dr. Christine Cotiola again. She is back. You all loved her two-part episode. I don't know if loved is the right term for it, but you responded and, and found a great deal of um, information and support in her first two episodes. The first one was on uh, coercive control. The second one was on post-separation abuse. And so I asked her back today. She has some new exciting things going on in her world, including she has just launched her own podcast. I'll let her tell you about that. And she has CourseOfControlConsulting.com. I just want to mention that at the top of the episode so you can go there to find all of her resources. But we'll dive in deeper. Today, we are going to get into 
the underpinnings of a coercive controller because it's actually important for you to understand sort of the systemic and perhaps generational um, permutations of what is happening and why it is happening so that we can break that cycle. And I know this is something that Dr. Christine is super passionate about. So I'm delighted to have her here. I just said to her, she is the expert. I'm delighted that she she's here to share her her wisdom and expertise with you. Also, let me start with a, a big thank you to you for making the time today to, to visit with me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. And you are doing so many amazing things to support victims and survivors. So we are so blessed to have you in the field, honestly. So thank you. You know, I have learned so much from you um, since we met last year. And it's an ongoing education. And and I want my listeners to know that. I say that very deliberately for them to hear because they're used to looking at me as an expert, right? I've been in the family law arena. I've been a divorce attorney for 33 years. I've been doing this for a very long time. But this particular area, specifically coercive control, and the areas that you are so well-versed in, sadly, because of your own experience, but now, you know, through your, your education and your research and programming, this is really, you know, this is difficult stuff to understand, to combat. And so that's why I just, I'm really happy that we are going to have this opportunity to really shine a light here. But I do think it would be helpful. I know we did an entire episode on coercive control, but let's just give people a little primer on what it is that we are talking about. Sure, absolutely. And I think it's, well, I think to your point, yes, I've been doing this work since I was 19 and I didn't even know it was happening to me. So this is a very insidious abuse. It's often beyond the violent incident model. And when we look through the violent incident model, we're actually looking at things kind of archaically because what we know is most domestic abuse is based on power and control. It's just, that's the way it is. It's about one person exerting power over us. And in that, they diminish our autonomy. They diminish our ability to know what we should know. So coercive control is truly like, it can be psychological abuse. It can be legal abuse, financial abuse, use of the children as pawns. It can be sexual abuse. I say that not, that sexual predators use the same skill set in their grooming of young children um, in the same way that these predators do this in domestic abuse situations. And I think it's just really important for people to understand that we don't always see the signs. Like even the most astute of us can miss the signs. I started this work at 19, was dating my um, my future husband stayed in a marriage for was in a relationship for over 30 some odd years and and was teaching on this Susan every single semester I teach on the power and control wheel I just left my social work class I teach on this every single semester I was counseling people who were in these types of situations and did not know it was happening to me the course of controller is very very good at what they do very good at what they do and if we are People who, I mean, this is it's a little bit of a segue into my podcast. I call it Perfect Prey because victims and survivors oftentimes have a very um, significant character traits that that line up very well for coercive controllers. Highly empathic, loyal to a fault, 
highly forgiving, like forgive indiscretions at a rate that most people would be like, I'm out of here. Right. And they also want to believe the best in people that we're highly optimistic people. We believe the glass is half full. So when an abuser, a person that we're in a relationship with that maybe we started a family with, they are maybe doing one nice thing. We like hold on to that good so tightly because we don't want to believe that someone could be so harmful. That's the reality. So I think a really great analogy of coercive control is it's like carpenter ants devouring the foundation of a house. You don't even know it's happening until it's too late. Until the floor falls in, right? You know, the house collapses around you. And that's so true. You know, I've spoken with so many people and and in my own experience, it's a slippery slope. You know, it doesn't doesn't start full bore either, right? The, it's the little underpinnings. And, and and I do like your carpenter ants because, right, they're nibbling just a little bit of wood a day. And, and you might not even notice that, but over time, obviously it takes its toll. What's interesting, and you just sort of alluded to it there, so this is where I'd really like to dive in and, and have a better understanding, both for myself and, and for my listeners, there there seem to be certain personality traits or people that are more you know that that have characterological traits that lead them into becoming coercive controllers uh, am I, I i may not even be saying that correctly but but walk us down that path sure and i should give credit to the carpenter ants analogy to dr evan stark and, and I would say that I think we always say to people, you know, why didn't you leave? Well, would we ask our neighbor when their house collapsed, why they stayed? They, we would right. never accuse them or, or question their staying because we would know that they didn't actually realize the carpenter ants were devouring their house. Right. And it's a right. stripping away of our autonomy and our agency. You know, I think that what's important to recognize is that people are born into family systems that are supportive in helping us to be ego resilient. Uh, when I say ego, I mean like our development, like who we are as human beings. And unfortunately, I think when we look at most of these people who become individuals who need to exert power over others, is that oftentimes they're born into really um, harmful family systems. Now, abuse is a choice. And not everybody who's born into harmful family systems becomes an abuser. I mean, let's be really honest here, right? So, you know, trauma doesn't mean you're an abuser. Um, You know, it doesn't at all. Actually, statistics state that children who grow up in abusive homes have like a 70% chance of becoming abusers. So the rate is low. Yet there are people who, when they are in these family systems, they're missing some major components, Every child, in order to develop into almost every child, again, going to this almost, it's not black and white, every child belongs, deserves, and needs to grow up in a healthy home environment where they are loved unconditionally, where they can be authentically themselves, where they are not shamed. Course of controllers, I mean, when I talk to protective moms and dads, I spoke this morning with a protective dad. When I talk to them, what we learn very quickly is that these are children who had a parent or a caretaker who shamed them a lot, who put them down, who did not love them authentically as themselves. And so what do we learn as children? Some, not all, learn to cover that up. And covering that up means that I can't be my true self. And it means in some ways that I have to control my world. 
Because if I don't control my world, people will see me for who I really am. And I'm petrified of that. When somebody sees me for who I am, there is so much shame in that, that I I can't even imagine what that would be like. That is, by the way, coercive control exerted post-separation. That is when a victim finally decides she's out of there. She's escaping. And it's an escape, as you know. This is not leaking. This is like really challenging circumstances. When she finally decides, or when he begins, we'll use he, begins to recognize that she is seeing through his mask. We'll call it the mask, the the shame. It's, It's a facade, right? When he notices she's seeing it, he begins to exert more control. He tightens, he tightens that loop. He just really begins to tighten those screws. And so that is who he truly is. When he has been exposed and when he retaliates, that's who he truly is. And that's why we know that over 90% of victims of coercive control, that the abuse gets worse post-separation. I like to be really clear, post-separation abuse is not a separate abuse. It's under coercive control. It is a form of the coercion and the control that gets intensified. And so so I would say these, I mean, I always say, think about the three or four-year-old little boy you know, Jackson Katz talks about the macho paradox, how little boys are not allowed to be who they truly are and how in order to end all of these oppressions of any human being, we have to really look through a patriarchal lens and understand the oppression. And so these little boys are three and four and, and they haven't been allowed to be who they truly are. How sad is that, right? And that some of them then need to cover themselves up and hide that shame. And in that, They engage in relationships where they're going to be the wonderful partner when they first meet and they're going to be all of these things. But then when any loss of control begins to feel like it's happening, they are going to exert more. That's what they do. And they do it in so many insidious ways, right? I mean, you know, I have clients, cameras up in the home, cars being tracked, um, you know, going to their workplace and ruining their reputation at work. You know, we call them flying monkeys, getting all of these other people on their side. This is what they do all in an attempt to keep up their facade. And keep that control in place. It makes so much sense when you're talking about it, you know, that that a controller, a, an abuser is not someone who perhaps is born that way, but someone who is created through their family system. I mean, we want something that we we know if we've taken any psychology courses in our lives is that our family of origin has a great deal to do with who we become. But there's something in this particular paradigm that, and and you, I think your podcast title kind of refers to it, right? The perfect prey is they, there's something in the makeup or, or how this person ends up being made up. As you said, not everyone turns into this predator that they are, they find the prey and there's something that makes us the perfect prey, as you said, and they are very good at hiding those aspects of their character. So it makes it really hard, right? There's, we have an open, giving, loving nature, and they're very good at hiding what they do. Absolutely. And I want to just point out that also what we know is that all of us are born a certain, like we all come to the planet earth and in, in a way that we have our personalities like already within us, and then they get fostered, right? Good or bad. 
And so there's a Harvard study that speaks about this idea that we are born either a little more ego compromised or a little more ego resilient, you know, like, you know, think about people, children, you know, who were really adaptable to difficult circumstances. Think about people, you know, who have suffered significant trauma. Like I I always use the example of David Pelzer, child called it. He basically was abused in his own home for years and, and he was the scapegoated child and he wrote four books about it. You know what I mean? Like he overcame the adversity. I would say David's an example of a person who was probably born more ego resilient, more hardy, just more hardy. And in that, even though he was born into an awful family system, he was able to overcome that. I think what we could assume for the most part, and again, not black and white, is that most coercive controllers, these people with these character logical traits that are extremely harmful, most of them were probably born more ego compromised. And then they're born into a family system that does not foster resiliency, does not foster adaptability, does not foster this ability to really empathize with other people. Because how do you empathize with other people when you are so busy trying to keep yourself safe? Like it's so challenging to keep yourself safe, right? And so to your point, that's why, I mean, I did a research study called Perfect Prey. It hasn't been published yet, but, and I do hope someday I get back to getting it published, but this idea that victims and survivors just truly have these traits. And, you know, Dr. Evan Stark critiqued my uh, study. He's, he's, he's a sharpshooter. He shoots right from the hip and he's like, a lot of good it does to find, to figure out the characteristics of a victim when he has the heel of his boot on her neck. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Right. But for me, I'm a, I like to be proactive. How do we teach victims and survivors that you might have these traits and that actually is going to line up really well with someone who wants to harm you. And and so that's really what this is about. It's like like what what makes you this person and how do you look out for those people but also to your point children are the epitome of perfect prey. I mean Every single child wants to be loved by their caretakers, even if their caretaker is horrifying to them. I mean, I worked for child welfare for years. You know, these children, you you have to remove them from a home because they're in danger, because a volatile situation just happened. And what do they want to do? They want to go back with that parent who harmed them so significantly. And so when I have protective moms saying, why does my child align with the abuser? Why do they want to go visit with the abuser? Why did they see the abuser be so harmful in this family system, yet they're willing to go visit with him now two years later? Because they're perfect prey. Because they just want that love. They can't imagine being betrayed so significantly by a caretaker. They just can't. Doesn't It does not compute, right? No. Literally in the, in their minds. Listeners, as October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I wanted to make sure that you know that we have created the Divorce Coalition to promote awareness of both domestic violence and domestic violence recovery. We are here to inspire healing and change. We are the voice of many. The Divorce Coalition is made up of all your favorite podcasters, bloggers, influencers, and more. And we join together to raise awareness and provide information and resources to fight the epidemic of domestic abuse in our world. Founded by Beverly Price of Her Empowered Divorce, Kate Anthony of the Divorce Survival Guide, and me, Susan Guthrie, we have gathered together our friends and colleagues 
amplify our voices to reach as many people as possible. So I encourage you to visit the Coalition webpage at www.divorcecoalition.com to find resources, including the many podcast episodes and blog articles that are on topic from all our members, as well as many other ways to help, donate, and find assistance. Together, we can make a difference and we can let domestic violence survivors know that they are not alone. So go to www.divorcecoalition.com and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at at Divorce Coalition page. Stay tuned for more from Dr. Christine Cocciola, who shares with you the dark underpinnings of a coercive controller and importantly, how you can work to protect yourself and your children. The best people to support these children are the parents who are the loving, protective parent. They have to really understand that these are victims of child abuse, which is so, as a parent, do you really want to say your, your child was abused? Do you really want to acknowledge that, oh my gosh, like how could this have happened in my world? I, I thought I had the perfect family. I thought we we had a wonderful relationship together, me and my partner. And now you're telling me, Christine, to add a layer that my child has been abused? Yes, I am. If you are enjoying this episode, be sure to check out last week's show featuring the champion of change, Jenny Stevens, as she shares more from her devastatingly difficult year, how she weathered those changes and came out on the other side stronger, happier, and ready to help you navigate your life as it goes in a new direction. I mean, divorce is, is a pain. It's, it's a painful experience in every single sense of the word that how can you offset the pain and sadness? Life is hard and life can also be joyous and happy. And how do you serve yourself and how do you find joy? You know, I die to live, I don't live to die. And I, every single day say like, how can I die to live? And is it a hell yeah or a hell no? And now we return to today's show. You know, I think this is such a helpful conversation because as we are talking about this and I hear, you know, sort of the genesis of the personality and of the behaviors and of an abuser, you know, how they sort of grow. There's, there's almost a, and maybe it's what makes us perfect prey, right? Is there's a twist of compassion. There's a sadness that this is something that was fostered in this, this child who's now turned into an adult that continues that abuse cycle that you're that you are talking about. Yet that's not really the point of why it's important for people to know this. You know, so it is important for people to understand the cycle because the only way to start changing it is to break the cycle, right? Yes. Yes, and that starts with protective parents really being able to parent their children. I, I love. There's so many amazing people online. We have such an, an amazing, like, so much access to information about trauma informed parenting. It's so important, right? Being able to really parent our children from a more gentle, calm place, not like when we were kids, where you know, I mean, or maybe a generation before us, but you had the wooden spoon and you had like, yeah. you know, you you did not disobey and you respected and you went to church on Sunday and all of these things, we now know there's a different way of parenting that's healthier. We know that. 
But for me, the lens, the added lens is the course of control lens because these children are being abused. It's child abuse when this is occurring and it's an unacknowledged child abuse. Frankly, it's an unacknowledged abuse of victims. We have 45 states that don't even acknowledge that it's an abuse of, of adult victims, never mind children. We could call it psychological abuse. We could. But really, most often, this is so insidious that even the adult victim doesn't know what's happening. How would we expect the child to? And then child welfare doesn't, and family court doesn't, and judges don't see it, and lawyers don't see it. I mean, there's just so many layers here. The best people to support these children are the parents who are the loving, protective parent. And But they have to add, they have to really understand that these are victims of child abuse, which is so, as a parent, do you really want to say your your child was abused? Do you really want to acknowledge that, oh my gosh, like how could this have happened in my world? I, I thought I had the perfect family. I thought we we had a wonderful relationship together, me and my partner. And now you're telling me, Christine, to add a layer that my child has been abused? Yes, I am. That's exactly what's happened to your child. And frankly, for me, it makes me actually tear up every time. The abuse is so insidious. It's when abuse is hidden, we already know, research tells us, when abuse is hidden, the psychological ramifications are that much more complex. It's much more complex trauma because nobody can see it. Now add in that on a developing brain. How harmful is that to our children where they literally don't even know they're being abused. They have so much grief. They don't even know they're grieving. I mean, as an adult victim, you might be able to say, oh my gosh, that person is bad. How do, how do our children, our children, that's their parent. How do they see that person is bad? And, and honestly, the healthiest situations are the children who don't, I mean, this sounds a little controversial, but the healthiest situation is one healthy, protective parent engaged in their children's lives. But our courts don't know this. They don't understand, they don't even see this as abuse, right? It is. You've just touched on what I think is so frustrating for people who are starting to become aware, right? They're, the, the foundation is starting to fall in on that house. The ants have been working for a while and the foundation is starting to fall in and they and their children are starting to, you know, get fall down into the basement or below and then they become very frustrated because no one else seems to understand. You just said it, right? The judges don't get it. The court systems don't get it. You know, I, I as attorneys, we get a lot of abuse heaped on our heads. We don't understand. It is a it is an ongoing problem. Why is it so hard? And maybe you've already said this, but but I think we have to be pretty explicit about this. Why is it so hard for people to recognize? You mean? Yeah, like why? Why are the what? Why is this so difficult? Why can't we just go into a courtroom and say, "Your Honor, let me just explain what's been going on here for a few years." This is what you know. Why is this so difficult? Because these abusers are so damn good at doing what they do. They are right. so. They are the charlatans. Uh, they deserve like the the Oscar. I mean, seriously, right? Yes, because they yeah. they know how to perform. And what do we know about victims and survivors when they show up in court? I mean. 
you ask yourself, you know, you tell a mother that she's losing 50% time with her children and she knows she's sending her children to an abuser. Are you going to be dysregulated as a mother? Absolutely. Are you going to be right. overwhelmed? And, and, and then as you know, we know women get pseudo psychiatric labels, you know, we, you know, we saw this and, and made many infamous cases, which I will not mention online here because I just know that people get really heated about them, but there are some people who have been engaged in relationships for a long time. And if you look at the foundation, foundation of this relationship, and these are famous people, infamous cases, if you look at the foundation of the relationship, there's no doubt about it that one person had power over the other person. Did the other person maybe um, behave in ways that we don't like? Sure. I call that self-defense. After years of being trapped, guess what? I am going to push back. You're right. If I am in the den with a wolf, you better believe it. If if fawning isn't going to work anymore, right. and flight, I right. then the person, stick might then the fighting might for. come out, and and it might yeah. come out in a way that is pretty ugly, and that's what happens with victims and survivors. And as soon as that happens, I mean, I, I to speak to your listeners about statistics related to men, you know, being victims and women being victims. As soon as a woman fights back and the police get called, that man is now in the system as a victim. Well, did he, did she fight back because he had her trapped in the laundry room for two hours fighting maybe, you know, like she couldn't get out or did he, did he take her phone and she pushed back and this is what happened. I mean, there's so many nuances to this that it's, it's, it's not black and white and we don't have people in the system who understand the nuances. And this is really what I hope to do is to be able to educate more lawyers and judges and clinicians on what this looks like. We have to stop gaslighting clients. I would say this too is that I think when you talk about like these children in this home, I'm asking protective mothers or fathers to do the hardest work there is because you are a trauma victim. And I'm telling you that you need to put your trauma, deal with that with your trauma-informed therapist, but put that in a box because guess who has much more trauma than you? That little one in your home, that 10-year-old or that 15-year-old who's calling you names, that kid is in fear and dysregulated state all of the time. And so it's a really hard task to be able to parent these children who are so harmed. It really is. And it's it's a difficult challenge for sure. Oh, I mean, it's probably the biggest challenge there is out there because you're not able to even, you know, we always say, put on the oxygen mask before you, you know, help someone else put theirs on. But this is really one of those cases, as you said, you have to sort of take your own trauma and put it in the box, deal with it on in your biweekly visits to your therapist and, you know, become the warrior for your child. Um, and, and that's, that's really, really difficult to do, especially within a system that is not, you know, the legal system is really set up. You said this isn't black and white. The legal system is set up on black and exactly. white. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It is set up on prove it to me. Mm -hmm. Prove it. Mm -hmm. And these are behaviors that are extremely difficult. If you want to talk about a gray area, folks, you are deep into, you know, all the different shades of gray here. And so, yes, I agree. The court system the attorneys that are not helpful in most of these cases. The problem is, is a legal system was set up to deal with car accidents and breached contracts and, and things like that. It wasn't set up to deal with this level of family dysfunction, human dysfunction. I mean, it just is really a difficult place to deal with it. Um, and, and so I think everyone is doing their best, but you're right. Education is 
one of the ways, the only ways we're ever going to get there, the more that uh, that our judiciary understands, the more that our legislatures, let's take it up a notch, you pointed out, oh, there are 45 states that don't even recognize course of control is a form of abuse. That's right. That's right. And I think what you're speaking to is, could you imagine like, let's just talk, let's, maybe it's a nice way to like bring things together, but like, could you imagine in a perfect world where we had judges and lawyers and everyone in the system who understand the harm that was being done and they were protecting children because they knew that it was a harm. They actually understood that it was a harm and they were protecting, of course, adult victims. And in that we prevent the intergenerational trauma and we prevent more abusers from being like groomed. That's what we do. Right. Created. Exactly. Right. And, and, or we prevent more people from being, because what we know is that you children in these situations, and again, it's not a hundred percent. Many children are very resilient, but they might end up to be more accommodating and end up in abusive relationships and, or might be more like role modeling that need for control because they were so harmed and shamed. And so how do we, I mean, it's like the answer to the world's problems. I hate to be Pollyanna, but it literally is. It's the answer. Let's we can fix this. everything if we can just get on top of this. That's, I wish in, in a half hour podcast, we could fix the world's problems, right? And you and I have talked about this. There, this. There's so little we can actually cover in this short period of time, but I did want to, you know, leave people with what, you know, what I call the golden nuggets, a couple of gold, maybe golden nuggets of if they are resonating, if what you are saying, what we are talking about here is resonating with them, um, of what they can do and where they can go, because I know you have, you know, ample resources beyond the podcast, but certainly the podcast. Um, so first, you know, just do you have, excuse me, any words of wisdom for someone who's out there going, you know, yes, yes, yes. Now what, what do I do? Sure. I think first of all, I want your listeners to know that they never have to carry any shame for their experiences. Please, this this abuse is so insidious. And I, that's why I talk openly about mine, because I'm like, listen, I was teaching on this every semester and didn't even notice it and doing this since 19. There is no shame in any of this. There is someone who chose to abuse. And you know what? You just really tried to work hard. You are a giver in a relationship. So forgive yourself. Move, you know, do what you need to do to protect yourself. And again, I think Beverly talked, we talked with Beverly yesterday on the divorce coalition, right? And she talked about an escape plan. Come up with what that might look like, but know that there's no judgment if you stay. Some people choose to say because that feels like that might be the better option. Yeah, I would say that I want every protective parent out there to know that they have so much influence. There is so much you can do in your home. I have one mom who sees her children for an hour a week at a diner. And that hour a week, she has shifted simply because she's parenting in a different way. She's looking at them through that coercive control lens. And so really, you have so much influence. And I want you to know that even though it feels like everything's out of control, the one thing you can control is your connection to your children. That coercive controller's goal is to fracture the attachment your children have with you. He is chiseling away with that all of the time. And I need protective parents to work all of the time on reigniting that attachment. Just work as much as you can to create positive memories, to maybe bring around people that you know that your child loves and admires, even if they say they don't like that person anymore. 
bring them around, engage in as many positive activities as you can. Discipline, you know, one out of 10 times. Try not to shame. Those are my like really quick strategies, ideas that I throw out there. (laughs) No, and I think they're so important. You know, I've talked about on the show with some parenting experts, things, you know, the power of one. One parent has so much more power than they know. And so the energy that you spend trying to change the other parent is energy that's honestly wasted. Um, but and, and it's energy that could be so well spent. I love the way that you phrase it. You know, even the the mother that you talk about who only has one hour, but she has that one hour of power mm-hmm. with with her children. So I know you also have some some programs that you do the the podcast. Tell people about how they can get more of your wisdom and expertise and help. Really, since clearly you're the the person to talk to. Thank you. I do Instagram reels. I try to do them regularly throughout the week with just little nuggets. Like we talked about, I have the protective parenting program, which really just is about acknowledging our trauma and our grief after we've gone through this type of situation or when we're still living in it, but how to really parent these children. It's like a shift. It's a mindset change. And it's really, um, it's eight modules, um, actually nine, including the prep module. And then it's 190 pages of workbook content and 12 hours of video. I do offer it self-study and also in person. And really, I just only hear, I can't tell you, Susan, so many really positive things. People really feel the shifts happening in their home. I, I have this little webinar. It's called Protective Parents and Allies. And it's for like, if you have family members who don't really understand what you've experienced and you want to like educate them, they could just do that. I also have uh, Where Is Your Line? Love Is Not Control. It's I have a 20-minute version for free on my website. And then if you wanted to purchase the longer version, but it's really about educating our young people. What does this look like? Like in right. relation Relationships. How does how can how can we help our young people to really begin to see the signs? What is love bombing? What are the red flags? What are green flags in relationships? Like I like to talk about like what are the green like flags? Yeah, what do we want? Right. Yeah. Right. So they can find me on my website. It's um I know your heart.com is the quick way to get there because protective mothers and fathers know their children's hearts better than anyone. And which and I love that it's we will, of course, have links to everything, including Dr. Christine's Instagram page and her website um, and everything there for you, everyone. But I, I strongly urge you to reach out to her website because as much as we can, you know, sort of bring you some little kernels of information here, I hope that you're, you're hearing just how much there is to know. Beyond that, the more you know, the more you can make change and effectuate change in your life, importantly in your children's lives, and on a grander scale systemically so that we stop this cycle. Because ultimately, when someone has become that abuser, it is very hard to change that person away from being that. But if we can stop you know, that cycle, it's, it bodes best for us all. But thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with my listeners. I know this episode, these are hard episodes to hear, listen to, to do, you know, you tear up, I tear up, but they are so, so necessary. And, you know, I want to remind all the listeners that the Divorce Coalition, Dr. Christine is a member and one of the founders I am as well as Beverly Price of Her Empowered Divorce and 
Kate Anthony of the Divorce Survival Guide. Please go check out the divorcecoalition.com website. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Divorce Coalition page. We're all going to be sharing as much information as we can, both in October and beyond. And if you have a voice you want to add to ours, let us know. Reach out. You can always reach out to me, Susan at SusanEGuthrie.com or reach out on the divorcecoalition.com website. And again, Dr. Christine, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Thank you, Susan, so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.